This podcast is being brought to you in part by the veteran-founded Hero Soap Company, located in Phoenix, Arizona. In today's environment, we must be aware of the products we apply to our skin. As a two-time cancer survivor, I cannot afford to take chances, and I use these products myself. The soaps will leave you feeling clean and refreshed. All the products made by the Hero Soap Company are made in the United States with the highest quality ingredients sourced from companies in the United States whenever possible. The products are made in small batches to ensure high quality and contain premium essential oils and fragrance. All Hero Soaps are created without synthetic colorants, parabens, and sulfates that are irritating to the eyes, skin, mouth, and lungs, and are cruelty-free, meaning these products are not tested on animals. Each 5-ounce bar of soap is handmade in Phoenix, Arizona, and the body wash is available in 8 ounces with such refreshing scents as the woods, tea tree, lavender, the fields, bourbon, lime, the pines, and arctic. You will absolutely love this soap. Please also check out their gear for sale. All the products are reasonably priced. Being veteran-founded, the company understands the dedication and sacrifice that each family makes to serve their country. A portion of sales is donated back to charities that are focused on helping veterans and our first responders. Over 1,200 bars have been sent to our deployed troops. Please check out their website, HeroSoapCompany.com, for pricing and a detailed description of all the products. When ordering, use the code RAP for a 10% discount. The company information will be listed in the podcast notes and featured on the podcast website, Facebook group, page, and the podcast Instagram. Welcome, everyone. It's a wrap with rap. I'm your host, Ron Rappaport. Before we start, I would like to thank all our listeners, sponsors, and supporters that have helped make the podcast so successful. The podcast is being heard in all 50 states, all provinces of Canada, and over 45 countries around the world. The podcast has been ranked by Feedspot as one of the top 35 overcoming adversity podcasts on the web from thousands in that category, and is ranked by Traffic social media followers, and content freshness. Please visit the podcast website, it's a rapwithrap.com, for all the episodes and other information regarding the podcast, and to order our logo merchandise, of which a portion of sale profits is being donated to various charities. This podcast features people who have overcome life's challenges and adversities, people who can inspire, motivate, and educate us on an assortment of topics. My guest today is award-winning filmmaker, motivational speaker, and author, Tina Petrova from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Tina has been part of the Canadian film, television, stage scene for over 30 years as an award-winning actress, writer, producer, and director. Tina has been dubbed by critics as a driving force and visionary, creating works of faith and healing. When not teaching or making films, Tina is an advocate on the issue of chronic pain, as she is also a chronic pain survivor and thriver. She has released a feature-length documentary titled Pain Warriors, 
about the pain epidemic in North America and is here with us to discuss the chronic pain issue affecting millions of people. Tina is the co-founder of Chronic Pain TV and Give Pain a Voice, and her production company, Visionary Media, is the executive producer of the documentary Pain Warriors. Welcome, Tina, to the podcast. So glad to have you with us. Hey, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. This is great. Yeah, we're, we're so happy to have you. Now, to give our audience uh, the background information about your chronic pain, uh, let me set the scenario. On Sunday at 8.30 in the morning, December 21st, 1997, in California, you decide to drive your Jeep Cherokee up to a monastery for morning prayers. Now, the monastery is located on an 8,000-foot cliff surrounding the city you lived in. Briefly tell us about the drive and what happened to you. That was kind of like the uh, the beginning of the end, the end of the beginning. So I'm living in Palm Desert in this idyllic place. And it's like 86 degrees out sunshine. And I had been up to this monastery many times before. And I had an older Jeep Cherokee, solid steel. And so, you know, I wasn't really worried about being in an accident. I grew up in Northern Ontario and I've driven in whiteouts and snowstorms. So, you know, it kind of didn't faze me that I was going up just before Christmas. And um, what happened is as I started driving up to the elevations, you know, I'm not a mountain girl. I grew up on Lake Superior snow started hitting the windshield like furiously and so I turned on my windshield wiper blades and you know I've driven in whiteout so that's okay you know slowed down the jeep you know um, rounded a corner and then I hit black ice and fishtailed and I don't know if anyone out there has ever been in a car accident on slick ice or black ice is once you fishtail like they say to steer in the direction of the skid well, I started tumbling over and over and over and over, and there was nothing to hold on to, like holding on to the steering wheel wouldn't control the fall. And so in that moment, like there was terror, panic, I'm sure my blood pressure was sky high. And I was just thinking, I'm going to die today. Like when I got up, you know, in this idyllic place in the desert, you know, and happy with my life and happy with what I was doing, I am really going to die today. Like, how am I going to possibly survive this? And at that moment, the Jeep stopped upside down and I had a seatbelt harness on. So I'm hanging like this in the harness upside down. And um, I have a degree in massage therapy which is something I did before becoming a filmmaker. And so I know a little bit about anatomy and physiology. So while I was hanging in the harness, I thought, okay, I'm going to pinch my arm and see um, if I'm paralyzed. Maybe my neck is broken. I was worried about moving, pinched my leg. I could feel what was happening. And then I heard these words, you know, kind of like from the beyond, like, a spiritual experience, like, get out, get out, get out. And I was like, shaken to my core. And I thought, well, how am I going to get out? My whole body weight is hanging like a person in a parachute. So I had been a yoga teacher. 
And so luckily, you know, I was in shock, I'm sure. I put my legs into full lotus. I crawled out of the seatbelt. I dropped to the roof of the car and the all the windshield was shattered. It looked like spider glass. And I managed to crawl out, you know, onto the slope, crawl out onto the slope. And at that moment, another car sailed over and landed on the wheels of my Jeep and crushed the hood of my Jeep. So if I had not heard that voice from the beyond, you know, intuition, the divine, who knows where it came from, then I wouldn't even be here today. Wow. And so, and, and the, the wild and wacky thing is, you know, um, I was up on my way to Idlewild, California, which is about two and a half hours south of Los Angeles on Highway 10 into Palm Springs, Palm Desert, Indio. So at that moment, so I was in this remote place. And so at that moment, a fire ranger, I guess, had been, you know, looking across the canyon and saw yeah. both cars go over and he radioed for two ambulances. And so, you know, they brought me to urgent care, ur desert, urgent desert care or something. And so, you know, for the first 24 hours, I was under observation you know, um, they thought I might have um, ruptured my spleen, punctured a lung. Sure. You know, I, I wasn't out of danger. They kept me under observation. And then, you know, they finally released me to friends. And then that was the beginning of my chronic pain journey. Certainly not the end of it. As you know, I live in chronic pain now. But up until that time, I was a dancer on tour. I was a yoga teacher, a massage therapist. You know, my body was my temple. I was strong. I was fit. And then, you know, my body became my prison. I ended up having to wear an, it's called a turtle shell, a brace. You know, I broke all my ribs in the front and the back. I was, I was picking glasses of shard, shards of glass out of my skin for about a year later. Wow. Um, I had severe um, fourth degree whiplash to my neck. And I ended up herniating four discs in my lumbar. So, I mean, as far as I was concerned, my life was over, you know, to be radiant and youthful and strong and fit and do anything I wanted and climb and run and hike. And so, wow, it took me a long time to dig out of that hole. How many, how many feet, Tina, do you feel you've, uh, the car went off at what elevation the police said i went off they did for a forensic um a forensic accounting of it and they said that um i went off at about six thousand feet wow and then they you know the jeep rolled several times and yeah. even that in and of itself i think it's a, a miracle that i survived that oh yeah absolutely did you need any uh did you go through any surgery from it? No, I didn't have surgery, but um, the doctors wouldn't let me travel back to Canada because, you know, of the extensive soft tissue trauma to the neck. Oh, and my brain. I remember so much brain trauma is that if you've ever seen strobe lighting, when I looked, all I could see is like the wiring in my brain really got scrambled from the rolling and I could see like strobe lighting like this lights all the time. 
And so I saw an osteopath, you know, a chiropractor, a neurologist, an orthopedic surgeon. And, you know, I had tons of intervention, body work, um, you know, uh, medication to control the pain. And basically, I was in very, very strict rehabilitation for six months nonstop, like my life was rehab for six months. Now, didn't an orthopedic surgeon see you and 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 tell you you were going to be on painkillers? Yeah, an orthopedic. Let me take a very brief moment out to alert all our patients and caregivers out there that rare patient voice, a supporter of the podcast, is paying for your input. Patients 16 years and older and caregivers, family and friends of any disability, disorder, syndrome, illness, or condition have the opportunity to express their opinions through surveys and interviews to improve medical products and services. Who knows your journey better than you? Rare Patient Voice puts you in touch with researchers who are developing products and services that can help you and others with your condition. These researchers need input of patients to develop products and services that have significant impact on patients' lives. Over the past nine years, Rare Patient Voice has paid patients over $10 million. When you join Rare Patient Voice, you may be invited to participate in interviews, surveys, or online communities where you will share your insights. Rare Patient Voice usually has hundreds of studies running at any time, so there are many opportunities to participate. You will earn $120 per hour for participating in these studies. By making your voice heard, you are a catalyst for change. Rest assured your input will be used to help other patients like you. There is no cost at all to you, the participant. You can get more information and sign up by clicking the link in the sponsor's notes. Surgeon saw me and he just shook his head and he looked at all the tests and he said, I really don't think you're going to be a functional part of society again. I really don't see you being able to contribute to society. You're going to be in chronic pain and you're not going to be able to function without being on heavy duty painkillers. So, you know, in that moment, I'm sure a lot of people in chronic pain can identify. You just think, I don't want to go on. You know, like I was this, I had this amazing life and now I'm a shell of who I was. Why bother, you know? So I went into deep depression and despair. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Tell us how you've been since since that accident. Have <laughs> things gotten a lot better? Uh, well, it gets even more exciting. So I dug myself out of that hole with rehabilitation. Yeah. I was able to do light yoga again. You know, I was able to be involved in my community a bit. And then, it, so that was 1997, 2000. Um, in a snowstorm in Toronto, a car hit me from behind and pushed me forward into the windshield and re-injured the delicate healing of my soft tissue, my tendons and ligaments that were keeping my lumbar stable. And then in 2005, I was on my way to the chiropractor and this elderly woman, I guess she got confused between the gas pedal and her brake. And I think she meant to put her foot on the brake and slowly back out of a parking spot. She gunned it and T-boned me. And I flung across the car that way and tore ligaments in my hip hip and my low back. And then in 2017, another snowstorm in Toronto, 
I almost made it home from my pain clinic, an hour drive in a snowstorm in a very safe car. And a block from my house, I was at a red light and I, I was just white knuckling it. And I said, oh God, you know, like just one more block, get me home. Like, you know, I didn't want to get injured again. And this woman, she um, lost control of her car and slid through the red light and pushed me back into the intersection and flung my neck muscles back that way. So basically from 1997 to now, it's been constantly rehabilitation, climbing out of a hole, getting a little bit better, leveling off, having the same um, areas re-injured. And so now, you know, my chronic pain daily, weekly runs from anywhere after I get paravertebral nerve blocks and I behave myself, like just lay in bed, read, do social media. I can get down to a four sometime, but I'm mostly riding at seven or eight out of 10. Wow. That's, that's got to be tough. Well, let's hope. Uh, I think the last accident was 2017, that there's no more accidents. We <laughs> no don't want any more accidents. accidents. No more accidents. No, no. Accidents. Well, let's talk about something a little different. You You have recently completed a movie about chronic pain titled Pain Warriors, which I saw. It's, it's an excellent documentary. It's about the alternate side of the opioid crisis, undertreated patients and the alarming rate of suicides that are happening in the United States, and I assume Canada as well. Can you tell us a little about a little bit about the making of the film? Yeah, well, you know, through these many years of being re-injured in the same spot and rehabilitating myself, you know, with the help of others, you know, it took doctors, like I'm talking about leading surgeons, like orthopedic surgeons, neurologists. It took them about 10 years to properly diagnose what was going on. So basically, I think a lot of pain patients will tell you it could be 10, 20 years before they get their diagnosis. Like they're living in constant pain. Maybe their constant pain is mismanaged or misdiagnosed. So they kept on saying you have um, mechanical back pain, which is just a general term for, you know, you have an achy back, you should exercise more, you should swim more, you should build up your core muscles. And um, so what happened is um, it took me a good 10 years before I met the pain doctor that I see now. They had been treating me for inflammation of the soft tissue, giving me naproxen sodium, which was so virile on my stomach. It wore a hole in my stomach. Literally, I developed ulcers and all I could have for a year was clear broth and tea. And, you know, I lost a lot of weight. And so, I, again, I was so depressed. I was, you know, beyond wanting to want to go on anymore. And I was taking a course called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, MBSR, which is popular in Canada and the States, kind of an offshoot of Zen meditation. And the teacher said, you know, I'm going to, th this man has like years waiting list. I'm going to get you in to see him, Dr. Howard Jacobs. So I went in to see him. I couldn't even sit in a chair. My tailbone was so sore 
they thought I had coccidinia, which is a permanent inflammation of the tailbone. And they wanted to do a, a coccidectomy or something. They wanted to remove my tailbone. They thought that that would be the answer. So I'm crying and crying and crying in his office. <gasps> yeah. I'm, pacing, I'm pacing back and forth saying, I can't go on doctor. You know, like there is no cure for this. I've lost my vitality, my life. I've been fighting really hard. I can't do it. And he said, it's okay. He said, I promise you, I promise you that when you leave my office, your pain is going to be down by half or more. And he said, it's not going to be permanent. You're going to have to have this treatment, you know, possibly for the rest of your life. So he took out these like big epidural needles, ah, but he didn't put them into the epidural space. They're called paravertebral nerve blocks. So in the tendons and ligaments and facets on either side of the spine, he injected me. I was sitting very, very deeply with anesthetic and rapivacaine. So um, rapivacaine is kind of like marcaine or lidocaine. Um, yeah. It's what dentists use to freeze Anas your nerves. Anesthetic. Yeah. It's an yeah. anesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, so he did this block. I got up and my eyes popped out of my head and he said, just take a walk around the office. And I went down from like a 10 out of 10 to a four. And he said, you know, I can't promise you that our clinic can offer you permanent pain relief, but I know I can help you. So, yeah. you know, I've become his biggest fan. And so anyway, I thought, wow, you know, like, I'm my background is as an actor, a dancer. I've given a TED talk. I've spoken at the United Nations. You know, I'm a motivational speaker, an activist, an advocate. So, you know, I thought, gee, if it if it took me, somebody who has this many resources to get a diagnosis and help, what's happening out there in the pain community? So I founded Give Pain a Voice. No, Chronic Pain TV was first. So we raised money for a website and um, uh, an interactive website that anyone could follow. And we shot YouTube videos. We went out with a camera and we shot therapists, psychotherapists, physiotherapists, leading edge, um, you know, near infrared light therapy, um, whatever we could get. And we had pages and pages on the internet called Chronic Pain TV. Then I thought, you know, I woke up at three o'clock one morning and I thought, I just need to do more. Like, this is a very passive response to the pain epidemic in America. It's good and it's educational, but it's passive. So I thought, give pain a voice. And I thought, that's what I've been missing is I'm very lucky that, you know, I trained in the theater. I'm used to speaking to big crowds. I'm not afraid to speak what's on my mind. And there's so many people who are in so much pain, they don't have the resources or the opportunity. You know, like there are people like with chronic regional pain syndrome, CRPS, who are in bed all day. You know, there are people who have had amputations because of chronic pain. There are people who have wasted away muscle wasting due to chronic pain. You know, there's so many, I mean, I learned so much on this journey. Like at the beginning of the journey, I knew 
you fell and you got a boo-boo on your knee and you had pain and then you had chronic low back pain and then you had arthritis and then you had cancer pain and then you know being in this world opened up this plethora this pandora's box of arachnoiditis people getting this like spider-like pain when they get injected with an epidural needle in the epidural space the dural space of the spine and then they have permanent nerve pain in their back chronic regional pain syndrome i had never heard of that before um ethodanios you know the the ligaments that are um over loosened um you know it was just like every day i was finding out about all these new chronic pain syndromes and i thought wow you know like why don't we hear about this in the mainstream news like why aren't journalists out there interviewing people then i started researching facts and figures and i found out you know over 60 um what was it over 7 million people in Canada, one in five, um, reported to their doctors, their GP and their pain clinics. Uh, so one fifth of the population five years ago reported that they were living in long-term chronic pain, which means it probably wouldn't resolve in their lifetime. It might go up and down a bit, but it wouldn't resolve. And in the States, the figures were staggering it was 60 million five years ago. And now it's reported at over 104 million at a cost of 634 billion to the American economy and loss of work in the workplace, loss of income to the people. And in Canada, I think the cost is 60 million annually. So I'm going, this is a big issue. Like the opioid crisis is important. It certainly is a valid issue. You know, opioids, you know, 25 years ago were handed out like candy. You know, oh, you have post-dental pain, post-dental surgery pain, have an opioid. Oh, you have menstrual cramps, have an opioid. You know, at the beginning of all this, and if people have watched documentaries, excellent documentaries on um, the streaming channels, there are some great works out there about you know, Purdue Pharma and how this came about to be. So I realized that no one cares about us. You know, like, I, I, you know, I'm sure there were chronic pain advocates and activists all over America, North America, Europe, Canada, but we each had our own little pockets. And it was yeah. kind of, it was a niche. Different. There was a niche. Yeah. And then, yeah. and we weren't communicating. So I thought, gee, you know, like, Like, what can I do next? I mean, we've done this Chronic Pain TV, an educational site where you can type in, I have arachnoiditis, what are the treatments available, both um, Western medicine and Eastern. And then Give Pain a Voice was more active. We went to rallies and we were outspoken. We talked to media, we got interviewed. And then the next step was, okay, you know, like this has to reach the world, you know, like, There are people in chronic pain all over the world. It's not a condition exclusive to North America. And so, you know, I thought a long time, I first thought of doing a movie called Pandemic of Denial because we were in a pandemic is the figures kept on going up and up. You know, the numbers on my website, I think I have between my social media platforms, 
15, 20,000 people communicating with me. And I started hearing more and more about suicides to the point where people started collecting names of veterans and chronic pain patients who just said, I can't go on anymore. And as you know very well, what happened is, you know, the pendulum swung too far. Opioids, you know, too much prescribing. Oh, okay, let's swing over here. Let's totally take away opioids from pain patients. Let's not even titrate them. Let's make them go off cold turkey. And so I thought, this is insanity. I mean, opioids play an important role in pain treatment. And so I thought, you know, pain warriors, that's it. We are pain patients. We get up and we're fighting for our life every day. We're fighting to be seen. We're fighting to be heard. We're fighting to get appropriate medication. And so that's where the concept came from was, you know, we have to do something about this. We as a pain community, we as a nation. And so I just started a ball rolling. And then, of course, you know, pain groups have been springing up, you know, before and and after me. And now there is more of a voice in America and Canada. Like now you actually see articles on chronic pain and, you know, journalists are interviewing us. So, you know, we've made some headway. We do have a movement right now. Well, you became the voice of the voiceless. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's kind of you, like. No, really. It, you're, was, it, it wasn't my intention, but I thought I have a big mouth. You know, I have training as an actor. I do motivational speaking. I don't hear anyone else out there. There might have been in small pockets all over. And I just said, no, you know, that famous scene in network. I'm not going to take it anymore. That's right. And you had had what I call a light bulb moment. I did. I had a light bulb. Uh Aha. I'm not going to take it anymore. So I got got out there on my soapbox. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions. Pain Warriors, tell our audience, where can people see this documentary? I saw so, it on Tubi. I saw it on Tubi. On Tubi, yes. So yeah. I'm very, very grateful. I have an American distributor called Gravitas Ventures out of, I think they're out of Indianapolis. And um, so they have helped us get onto many streaming channels. We're on um, Amazon Prime which is a membership. Let's take a moment to talk about those people ready to lose all the weight you want. Did you know that less than 2% of dieters manage to keep off the weight? When you are told to skip entire food groups, forced to limit the amount of calories you eat, your only option is to use discipline to stick to the plan. Behavioral science has proven that we only have a small supply of discipline. And the reason you need discipline to follow a diet is because diets are not natural. Your ancestors survived by eating their fill when food was plenty so they could cruise through times when it was harder to get. Your genetic code is hardwired to go without food for short periods between times of plenty. And that is what is missing in the modern diet. These days, it's like you eat one long meal per day starting at breakfast and ending at bedtime. That is why many are sick, fat, and losing weight seems so complicated that they end up gaining it all back. You need a shift from food obsession to food freedom and give your body the break it deserves. Eat, Stop, Eat is an intermittent fasting method developed by Brad Pylon, 
which is a unique approach to intermittent fasting that's characterized by the inclusion of up to two non-consecutive spaced apart fasting days per week. By the time you finish your first eat-stop-eat protocol, you are going to feel a difference in the way your clothes fit. You will see that your face looks leaner and even notice that you feel lighter and more energetic. During the protocol, your insulin levels will drop to one-third of regular levels, allowing you to burn fat at an extreme pace. Practicing one to two protocols per week will increase insulin sensitivity, allowing you to store more calories in lean tissue and lessen fat even when your insulin levels are higher. If you think you look older than you should, then you probably suffer from chronic inflammation, and we know it is triggered from being overweight and overeating. Chronic inflammation is also linked to most of the diseases associated with aging, including arthritis, hypertension, atherosclerosis, fatty liver, asthma, heart disease, diabetes, and many more. Here is the good news. The Eat, Stop, Eat protocol has been shown to cut markers of chronic inflammation in half. The Eat, Stop, Eat protocol works for anyone, man or woman, no matter how young or old you are. Because you need time to experiment with Eat, Stop, Eat yourself, Brad has agreed to give you a guarantee. You can try it and continue using it for the next 60 days before you even decide if it is for you. Brad expects that before the end of those 60 days, you must agree that Eat, Stop, Eat is a sustainable lifestyle and that it will give you a lifetime of peace and freedom from your struggles with weight and diets. If not, Brad expects you to ask for a refund of your purchase. Brad's passion is to make health and weight control simple again. He wants you to enjoy your life, your food, your family, and your friends to the fullest. The last thing he wants is to bring more stress into your life. So if you decide that Eat, Stop, Eat is not for you, Brad will happily issue a no-hassles, no-questions-asked 100% refund. The Eat, Stop, Eat program is affordably priced at $10 for the digital version and $19 for the physical copy, including shipping. And for a limited time, you will get a quick start guide and 15 days free VIP email coaching. Please click the link in the podcast notes under sponsors links for detailed information and to order. Channel, we're free on Tubi. We're on Vudu. Um, we're on iTunes. We're on Apple TV. I think we're on the Roku channel. And just this week, I signed with a Canadian distributor that's going to help us get into streaming right into the high schools, the colleges, the universities, and the Canadian libraries. And we're also on an app called, is it called Zumba or is that a dance class? <laughs> there is a uh, hoopla. There's an app in the US and Canada where all you need is a library card and a smartphone and you can have this Hoopla app and you can stream it on your phone or your tablet or your computer. And I found out that many libraries in the US are now carrying it for loan out. So if any of you out there do not have a smartphone, do not have a smart TV, and perhaps can't afford to pay for a streaming channel, all you need is a free library card you can walk into your library and you can say, I want you to order a loan out DVD of Pain Warriors. And they have the budget to have that. And my goal is that this film is accessible to all, regardless of whether people live um, rurally or urbanly, or whether, you know, what kind of socioeconomic um, state they're in. I really want this film to be accessible. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
What well, what was it like making the film with you being in chronic pain yourself? <laughs> I mean, how did you how did you manage to do that? Yeah, well, that that is a, that's a film in and of itself. We should have made a backstory. We should have made like um uh, Apocalypse Now, Hearts of Darkness, because I had my own Hearts of Darkness. So I was in so much pain while we were filming, because of course. I had to get out of my Tina routine of being able to lay on the couch, use the heating pad, use an ice pack, use CBD salve, vape CBD, you know, use my own pain medicine. And all of a sudden I had to sit in chairs, travel in cars, meet with interview subjects, talk to them. So most of the time, you know, I would make it to the the home or the place of the um uh, the place of the interview for the subjects. And then I would end up laying on the couch and my creative partner, Eugene Weiss, who was also the editor of the film, he would, he and I would agree on what questions to ask. He would do the interview and I would lay down behind him. So I had to lay down for a great deal of the film just to be able to be present while making the film. And in the edit suite, I bought a folding mattress and no word of a lie, my lips to God's ears is um, I had to lay down in the edit suite with my pillow and he would be editing and he'd say, okay, come look at this scene. So I would sit up and we'd look at the scene together and then I would lay down and thank God he bought this little rescue puppy called Panda and Panda kept me company on the mat. And yeah, it was again, another miracle that you know, I just said, I'm going to be present for the interviews, for the shooting of the film, for the editing of the film, for the release and the marketing of the film. And I don't know if you know this Yiddish word, it's called chutzpah. Yeah. You know, and I think it was just pure chutzpah that I made it, you know, just will. It was sheer will. Well, God bless you. I mean, what resiliency. I mean, you had it, you had it in your mind, you were going to do it, and you did it. I did. Well, you know, our family is um, Eastern European peasant stock, my father from the Ukraine, and my mother from Slovakia. And I'm telling you, my brother went to visit several years ago, and came back with these pictures of 90 year old women in our village, with aprons on, and the babushka, the kerchief, and pickaxes. And at five every morning, the women go and climb up the steep mountains. My family's from the Tatra Mountains in Slovakia. And you see these 80, 90-year-old women, toothless, going up with their pickaxes to work. I mean, I come from this amazing genetic stock. And I really credit my genetics to helping me get through this. And God, you know, God, my faith, my genetics, I think yeah. it really, it really took a lot, you know, and, and I certainly didn't do it on my own. I had a whole team of people behind me supporting me and sometimes carrying me through this. Well, I'm glad they did. What, what do you feel about right now? What is, I, I know you talked about other modalities that you're, that you're using, you're using the, uh, you know, the epidurals and that kind of thing. But what do you feel is the role of opiates in pain control? Oh, I just want to make a correction that I don't get epidurals. 
um, but I do get epidural needles paravertebrally because there is a difference. Like okay. to go okay. into the epidural space, there's always a danger. There's something called arachnoiditis where if, if it's done improperly, you can develop a different kind of chronic pain. So I'm kind of in a pretty safe zone, but I believe that opioids absolutely play a role. I mean, my pain, my primary pain doctor says, you know, opioids until this crisis of street abuse was the gold standard. Like, you know, you'd have gallbladder surgery or cancer surgery. Opioids were the gold standard. And then the internet came and then the interconnectedness of us all and then fentanyl patches and then street drugs. And then all of a sudden people, you know, in my generation, it was marijuana and alcohol, you know, when I grew up. And then now this generation, it's Molly and ecstasy and fentanyl. And so what's happened is, you know, the more the youth and young people lean toward those drugs, the more um, so-called overdose accidental deaths are happening. And I believe that suicides and overdoses amongst the chronic pain population and among the population of drug users have not been adequately separated and defined. So you'll see on somebody's death certificate, you know, died with um, uh, multiple, multiple drugs in their system. Well, if you are on an opioid that's been prescribed by a doctor, you probably have lost, you know, your major income in your life and you're depressed. Maybe your spouse has left you. Maybe your children, you know, just don't believe you. Maybe your friends, you've lost your friends because they go, they don't understand chronic pain. So you might be as a chronic pain patient on an opioid or a similar medication. You might be on an antidepressant and you might be on an anti-anxiety medication. So of course the coroner's report is going to show that this person died with um, a cocktail of drugs in their body. So I think what happened, this is my personal viewpoint, and I've also heard this stated elsewhere, is that pain patients, you know, who are using their medications properly and right to the letter that as the doctor prescribed, and they, maybe they died of suicide, were lumped into the same category as overdose. Yeah. And I, at some point, you know, maybe in the last decade, you know, the, of course, the, the overdose deaths are horrible, especially if you're a parent or you're a loved one of someone who has died, you know, due to an overdose of opioids or fentanyl patches or whatever. But I think, you know, as I mentioned before, I love this metaphor. I think I heard it from Dr. Mark Ibsen, who's a pain doctor in Helena, Montana, is he said the pendulum swung too far. It swung really far when Purdue released, um, released it. Everyone gets opioids to no one gets opioids. And now what's happening is, you know, people are on way too low doses. They've developed a tolerance from being at a certain level of opioids during their life. And then all of a sudden they're brought down really quickly and other medications aren't cutting it.
And so there is a role and there is a place for opioids to use as directed properly. And I think we have to move away from that black white imagery of it has to be here, it has to be here. I think we need to find that middle ground. And I'm a firm believer that every pain patient should be treated appropriately with the appropriate medication and care to the level of pain they face daily and to how they've been diagnosed um, and to their functionality in society. Tina, what do you think is the most difficult thing uh, for pain patients to deal with every day? And can you please discuss uh, the role of, of family and friends in the maintenance and support of a chronic pain patient? You know, I mean, I know for myself, I'm I'm very fortunate in that, you know, I have a brother who just had double knee replacement recently. I have a brother who had hip replacement I have another brother who had open heart surgery and had a long recovery. I would say that, you know, the poster for our film says shunned, disbelieved, shunned. What's the third word? It's um, invisible, invisible. Yes. Yeah. So invisible, disbelieve, disbelieved and shunned. So basically is OK, I'm sitting here with you right now. Someone tuning into this. Well, she doesn't look like she's in 10 out of 10 chronic pain. Well, actually, two hours before I talked to you, I was laying in bed with um, a near-infrared heating pad, putting CBD salve on my back, vaping CBD, and taking some holistic remedies, resting just so I could be with you. So I think even families, you know, like your siblings, your spouses, people at work, you know, just they look at you and they go, well, you don't look sick. Like if you ask any chronic pain patient in America or many of them, what's the worst thing that you could hear daily is, oh, but you don't look sick. You right. know, like it infuriates us. So number one is we're invisible, is we don't walk into an emergency room with a knife sticking out of our head. Yeah. So, you know, people can't see our pain, disbelieved. Okay, so I live in eight, seven to eight, out of 10 pain most of the time. So how do I do it? Okay, I have meditation, prayer, breathing, I see a pain clinic, I have near infrared therapy, cannabis, you know, I use several modalities to control it. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to get up and cry every day? This is the hand that I've been dealt. So I live this way. But then people will get a twinge in their back or something, or they'll throw their back out or get a disc herniation. And they'll think, oh, you know, call an ambulance, bring me to the hospital. Give me something. I don't want to feel this pain. People just disbelieve that we can function. But the thing is, it's do or die. We either function or we don't have a life. And right. shunned, you know, it's almost like we're lepers. Is you tell someone you have chronic pain, all of a sudden your friends drop off. You know, you're you're too high maintenance. You're too needy. If If people say, how are you today? Well, you know, I'm having a rough day. I'm laying on my heating pad. I'm watching Netflix. Oh, got to go now. You know, I'm not talking about your dearest, closest friends, but, you know, a lot of friends do drop away because they go, oh, I don't want to hear this story. I don't want to take that on. So we become like lepers. We become kind of like the outcasts of society, which is why, you know, it's so important to me that this movie Pain Warriors 
really explains a lot. The name of the film is not Pain Victims. It's not Victims of Pain. Right. Um, the, the, the name of the film is Pain Warriors, is we get up and we fight our battles every day, whether it's post-chemotherapy pain, post-cancer pain, you know, arthritis, um, psoriatic arthritis, CRPS, um, you know, arachnoiditis. There are so many things out there, so many pain diseases, is we fight every day. We fight the good fight. And people just don't know. And we're exhausted but we just keep on doing it because what is the other choice, right? You know right. what the other choice is, so right. we do it. So Tina, what can we expect next from you in the film world or in the advocacy world? Well, I'm really, really thrilled that our film is being shown um, at film festivals all around the world. We were shown in Berlin, um, Lithuania, um, the, U- the UK, Australia, India, uh, as well as, of course, United States and Canada. So right now, I think what's important to me is outreach. I mean, we have a product, Pain Warriors. We have a mission to educate people, inform, uplift, to make people not feel so invisible, alone and isolated. And I think, you know, if we go back to the title of the film in wrapping up, this um, podcast, Pain Warriors, you know, even though there we, we tackle some difficult issues like suicide in the film, we also speak about some very uplifting, courageous things that have happened, you know, through um, people having chronic pain. There's an 11 year old boy who had cancer from age two and a half um, till six and a half, he was at Sick Kids Hospital, and they had to put a shunt in his spine to deliver the chemotherapy because you know a little baby's hand you you can you couldn't um, insert that many needles and that many yeah. chemotherapy treatments. So anyway, he has become an ambassador for Sick Kids Hospital. He's become a children's ambassador to go out and speak about you know, chronic pain, post-cancer children, and um, how important it is that society recognizes that chronic pain and illness is not only limited to um, elderly people or middle-aged people. So he's really become a spokesperson at 11 years old. You know, he's on the radio and TV. There's another girl who, who we interviewed who got her master's in critical disabilities And so she is using her chronic pain as a platform to speak about critical disabilities and the importance of people understanding them. Um, Another man whose wife tragically died, um, he published her journal um, after she died, and it's now become recommended reading at Duke University in Pennsylvania It's all about um, cerebral spinal fluid leaks, CFS. So the reason that we're called pain warriors and we're journeying out into the world as a movement, a civil rights movement, a social justice movement, you know, with the film is it'll continue to touch lives and like a pebble, you know, across the top of the water. It'll have a ripple effect. It'll touch this person. They'll touch that person they'll touch the next person. 
And, you know, through my efforts, you know, I've created this and all over the world, people are creating their own ripples. So finally, the chronic pain community has a voice. Finally, we're getting recognized and finally we're being heard and we need to continue to keep out there and keep on getting heard. Absolutely. And we need to keep on giving pain a voice. And it must be so rewarding for you personally. Oh, yeah. I'm just over the moon thrilled that <clears throat> the success of the film, how we've been received. And it's very fulfilling to know that, you know, at the time of my death, whenever that is, my legacy is I did something. I just didn't sit there. I did something. I made an impact on some people's lives that will continue to have a ripple effect. And I'm very proud of the work that myself and my team have done. Absolutely. Congratulations on that. How, Tina, how can people contact you? So um, people can contact me through um, their page um, where they can find out what we're up to um, with film festivals and where we're being screened live at Pain Warriors Doc. And then we have a, a very active Facebook page pain warriors movie so um between the facebook page twitter we would love you to follow um you know take a look at our posts join join us um hear what other pain patients are saying join the dialogue and you know we'd love to have you on board the pain warriors train tina we are on twitter at pain warriors dlc is that right yep that's correct and Facebook Pain Warriors movie. Yes. Okay, let's finish up. What advice and hope can you give those patients and care caregivers out there dealing with this subject? You know, I really think, you know, sadly, we have to draw on our resources within. I think faith is an important thing. However you see faith, it can be walking in the forest and appreciating God's creation. It can be sitting in your garden, listening to classical music and sitting amongst your flowers. I think faith in a higher power is really important to get us through the day. I think, you know, maybe a lot of our friends have dropped off. I think it's important to nurture a few really good friendships and have people who are willing to be there for us, to hear us and to support us. And I think it's important to keep on trucking, like to the best of our ability. If you have a bad day, stay in bed. If you have three bad days, stay in bed. It changes. It's active. It's not passive. It goes up and down like a graph. Don't feel totally defeated if you can't get out of bed for several days. You know, then you might wake up the fourth day and go, oh, you know, I have a little bit of energy. I can cook a meal today. I think the important thing is hang in there. You are not alone. You are loved. You are heard. You know, we're getting the message out there. We're really trying to have effective treatments made available for all pain patients. So please hang in there. However you can do that, you know, friends, your faith, please, please hang in there. One last thing, question. Uh, is there any, is there a support group you recommend? You know, I personally don't run one. I have enough on my plate being a chronic pain patient. Yeah. But um, I think there's many, many, you know, like uh, in the States, I guess there's the American Pain Foundation, which is a, a bigger group. Yeah, there are 
each um each state and each province will have a little pocket like the chronic pain association of canada i think it's very important to be connected with a group whether it's a local group or on zoom it's important to share your worries and concerns your wins and your hopes with other people i think it's important to be heard and received and i think community is very important well said well said thank you tina for being on the podcast and for all the work you have done to shine a spotlight on the subject. Uh, I wish you all the best going forward and nothing but good health as well. Thank you so much for being on. Namaste, namaste. I bless you. I thank you. And I send everyone love, good wishes, hope, and strength. Thank you so much. Comments and suggestions for the podcast, you can email me at itsarapwithrap at gmail.com. Our website is itsarapwithrap.com. We have all the episodes on there and other information. Our Facebook group is It's a Rap with Rap. Instagram, It's a Rap with Rap podcast. All the episodes are on YouTube. It's a Rap with Rap, the podcast uncut. I want to thank everyone for listening. Until next time, it's a wrap. Mm-hmm.